0: The MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto
1: related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. We're in the middle of a crypto winter and it's a brutal one. Think back to November of 2021 when Bitcoin traded at 67,000 and Ethereum was close to $5,000. Those were happy days when millionaires were being minted virtually by the hour. But sadly, those days are gone. This morning, Bitcoin traded at a little over 16,500 and Ethereum at just over 1,200. And we've been nearly, some of these altcoins are down nearly 90% compared to what they were a year ago. And think back to what happened just a few weeks ago when the FTX exchange collapsed and its sister company, Alameda Research, went with it. Probably the most significant crypto failure of the year. We started out with the collapse, we started out the year with the collapse of the Terra Luna stable currency, and that bled into crypto lenders like Voyager and Celsius and Three Arrows Capital. Now, for crypto enthusiasts, you may feel a little shell-shocked at all of this and wonder where is it going to all end? Well, joining us to explore this is Paul Kasserin and Brandon Toppen. Paul Kasserin is co-founder and CEO of Petrock Investments, which offers a range of crypto-focused investments, including a Bitcoin fund, an Ethereum fund, and a US dollar stablecoin fund. He's got a background in fintech and digital research, or sorry, digital transformation, having previously worked with companies like Woolworths, Nasdaq, eBay, Shoprite, and TFG. And also joining me on my left is Brandon Topham, who's no stranger to the MoneyWeb audience. He's perhaps best known as Head of Enforcement, was Head of Enforcement at the Financial Sector Conduct Authority. He served as a member of South Africa's parliament, as well as on the trade and industry, finance, Auditor General, and Appropriations Committees. He's a qualified CA, and he's also got a background as a forensic accountant. And he's an admitted attorney and, I believe, quite recently, an advocate of the uh, South African Bar. He's also a non-practicing member on the role of the Solicitors Regulation Authority of England and Wales. Most recently, he's taken up a position as CEO of Creston Forensic, focusing on crypto and regulation. Welcome to you both, Paul and Brandon. Good
2: to be here. Thank you, Kieran.
1: Okay, so let's start off with you, Paul. Uh, Are you shell-shocked by what's happened in the crypto market in the last few weeks? Uh, Is this the worst we've ever seen or we're likely to see?
2: Yeah, yeah. firstly... um Thanks Kieran, thanks for having me on the show and uh, thanks to the audience who actually are busy watching. Um, I, I think I'm more disappointed than, than shocked. I th- uh, at the beginning of the year, um, my colleagues just warned me about uh, the bear markets, um, but no one could actually predict over the last couple of months what happened to all these major um, crypto companies. Um, if you think of it, FTX was one of the largest exchanges in the world. Um, so no one could have predicted that, so uh, it's, a, it's a little bit disappointing to see, and um, if you if you look back a year ago, uh, a number of people were, um, because prices were going up, a number of people were buying crypto, um, they believed that the prices were going to um, skyrocket, but now uh, looking back, um, there are worried people out there. Um, they're worried about their, their funds, what's left of them. Uh, they're worried about their funds and exchanges, and they're worried about the crypto market as a whole. Um, and there are a couple of people out there just uh, looking at the opportunity, looking at uh, the great opportunity, um, and they think that uh, the bottom is in, and it's a great opportunity to buy. So people are at different places, um, but generally it's, it's a worrying time.
1: Brandon, let's turn to you. You've been on the Money Web Crypto podcast a few times. And uh, I think people will remember, those who have listened to you before, that you were quite skeptical about cryptos. Uh, And I think maybe that was shaped a little bit by your experience in cracking down on Mirror Trading International and a few other crypto scams that came out. Cryptocurrency being used as the currency for a lot of scams that came out of the woodwork. You did warn us of the risks of this. Uh, Do you feel vindicated?
0: Well, I think too many people have lost money serious amounts of money to, to um, have any self-satisfaction. But the problems that have happened recently aren't so much crypto failure, but I think regulatory failure. And I think we'll discuss that a little bit more going forward, because I mean, FTX was really a bank that wasn't licensed. And the crypto was just, for instance, the, the cover. And many of the scams that exist out there aren't the crypto that's a scam, it's a the scam. They're just the payment mechanism is the crypto. And that's why we have to um, regulate the crypto environment to allow some certainty with for the players um, and for the public in general.
1: I think that's an interesting point that you raised because uh, one of the arguments that has been made is exactly that, that, that FTX was operating like a bank. So you had this fractional reserve lending system where they had deposits that belonged to clients. They were on lending that and then leveraging it in exactly the same way that banks do it. And of course that's a recipe for if you don't have the, uh, the oversight of a, a central bank or a bank of international settlements, you're gonna get that kind of collapse eventually. That's correct, yes. And the difference, sorry, is that you have
0: a bank, you need three things generally in place. You need expertise of management, track record, you need to have reserves, as in your own money, or shareholders' money, not depositors' money, and you need proper systems, proper banking systems. And if you look at the, what's going around at the moment, it looks like FTX had none of those three, and that explains why why the collapse happened to an extent. All
1: right, Brandon, let's stay with you. So you were crucial to the recent rollout of, no doubt, what is the beginning of crypto regulations, or certainly not the end of crypto regulations. And so in future, you, we're going to see financial products and crypto companies, they must be licensed as financial services providers, and they've got until November of next year to do that. Uh, this comes at a time when South Africa is seen as a bit of a nursery for crypto scams, like Mirror Trading International, which you were personally involved in in shutting down. Uh, but it looks like, despite this, hardly a week goes by, that we aren't coming across some other crypto scam coming out, uh, out of the woodwork. Will these regulations help drive the scamsters out of business? I think this is
0: simplified simplify crypto quickly,
1: though. Put it in
0: two parts. You get the crypto or the product provider, the crypto itself, the Bitcoin, the Ethereum, all the virtual, the, the various stable coins, the thousands of other currencies or assets out there, All right. That's a, a completely other problem that's not going to be solved overnight. But the, the, the second part, the the middleman, the intermediary, the advisor, that's where regulation right now is focused on, and that's the starting point to crack down on the problems. You know, if you want to invest in anything, you want to make sure that the, the person you're giving the money to, the person giving you the advice, knows what he's talking about, he's not going to run off with your money. The fact that the products you're going to be advised onto Um, are not regulated, that's a a completely different story for now. But yes, in the long run, uh, regulation will make the crypto environment much safer for for everybody in it. It will still be a volatile market. You still have to be extremely brave to to venture into that, and that's why you need to use experts. You know, uh, most of crypto trading now is derivatives. I don't understand the first thing about the rips. Okay, I understand the first thing about the rips, but not the second thing. And very few people do, and that's why you need experts that have the experience that can help you make sure that uh, when, they, when, when, you, when you put in your hard-earned money at risk, at least there's some intelligence besides your feeling that the market's gonna go
1: up or down. All right, and I think before we, we, we came onto the show, you were telling me that you do actually invest in cryptos now. Last time yeah, we spoke, you were not an investor. <laughs> Well, no. I, as publicly said,
0: I wouldn't buy a crypto. But I believe there are a couple of billion uh, people in the world, and they are rather gullible, and they are going to keep buying. So I would may as well gamble with the rest of the world, <laughs> to a very, very small percentage. <laughs> if I was a serious investor, I would have to give it to you know proper uh, a management. Firm. You know, uh, there's one sitting on your
1: right, for instance, that that, that could assist you they've rather than me, I mean, I'm just okay. long-term speculating. So, so, just a following question from that, if, if you've been buying crypto, have you been uh, dollar cost averaging down as the price has been going down? Yeah, I'm an accountant. When
0: the price so, falls, I'm, I'm looking at it with a little bit more interest, yes. Okay.
1: <laughs> All right, Paul, um, I don't know if you saw this week that uh, emerging market expert, Mark Mobius, reckoned that, his warning actually that Bitcoin could go down to $10,000. This morning it's at 16500 that's a long way from the $67,000 it was in November of last year. Um, are you a bit worried that uh, there's more bad news to come out of the woodwork and the flight from risk has still got some distance to go?
2: Yeah, Kerem, Um I, th- I think first of all, the one thing is for certain, no one can predict the top and the bottom of the crypto markets. Absolutely, that's the, that's the one thing. I think my my son, my 15-year-old son, predicted the top of the market last year. so. But I think in general, you can't predict uh, the market, especially in crypto. Um, Mark actually is also famous for saying that uh, what goes down will generally come up. And um, you just have to show a little patience um, and not hit the panic button. So I think uh, over the last week, we've watched um, Bitcoin miners specifically start dumping some of their stocks, some of their um, Bitcoin, um, just to stay afloat. So. Um, that is one of the indications that the market is is kind of looking at, uh, like a bottom, but uh, no one can predict anything. So absolutely, um, I'm I'm not there to do that. I think as as crypto as a whole as a market, I think people are really nervous, and um, we've. Uh, We've taken a long-term view. So if you, if you look at crypto, it's actually part of blockchain technologies. And we fundamentally, our investment thesis is based on the blockchain technologies and what they can do for, for the world, for people, for different industries, including financial services. So if you take that long-term view, um, the investment thesis in the technology is pretty solid. So we don't look at the price of Bitcoin, but we take that longer-term view. And... Um, what is really concerning, though, for for us, is to to look at our customers of exchanges right now, because um, internationally, um, many people took their money off exchanges because of F- FTX, and um, and now people are worried. So. Um, We've actually been in discussion with two very very large uh, exchanges in South Africa, and the one exchange uh, would like to keep their um, their customers' coins on the exchange, and they're showing the proof of reserves on their home screen and just uh, trying to settle the market down, which makes hell of a lot of sense. The other exchange that we're talking to, uh, they have come out and recommended that um, their customers, their customers, don't leave their coins on the exchange. So they are two different uh, different views and. If you're out there and you would like to um, to, to actually take hold of your coins, uh, if you'd like to take self-custody of your coins, the same thing uh, that a lot of people overseas are doing, you have to learn how to do self-custody. So um, what that means is you have to set up your own wallet and you have to transfer your coins off an exchange into your wallet. So I brought a couple of gadgets I'd like to show you. I hope you don't mind. Sure. But they're, they're super interesting and they're quite unique. So they're great for Christmas presents. Um, if you are keen, um,
1: do, do you sell them, or these are just? I, I, did you buy these from, them. Uh, from somewhere else? I
2: don't sell them. I actually bought them online. You can't buy them from an exchange either, definitely not. And um, and what you can do is, I've, I've got three here, and they're three hardware wallets. Uh, I don't know if you can uh, see a picture of it um, at the back of us, but um, I'd like to show you the first one. So um, this is called a ledger. Um, it's a it's a hardware wallet. It's a super useful thing. It looks like a memory stick. Now, um, w- what it does, it, it stores your your private keys. So when you when you want to uh, remove your uh, coins from an exchange, you open up a wallet, and um, and you will get um, a seed phrase. Now. Um, Your your wallet is protected by private keys, and what you can do is you can actually store your private keys on one of these hardware devices. So it's an extra level of security. So every time you want to transact with your coins, you actually need this device, and it's got a little pin on it. So um, you can lose your pin. It's kind of like a cell phone. You try too many times, it goes dead, Um, and they're quite expensive. It's about 3,000 rand, 1 to 3,000 rand. Good Christmas present, the one thousand round one, I think, um, for Christmas.
1: What's the brand? Uh,
2: this one is uh, called a Ledger, and there's a couple of brands out there. There's a Trezor and a Ledger. We we don't recommend either, but I personally own a Ledger, and then there's uh, two other examples. Now, just as I said, um, as as a client, and you would like to actually own your own uh, crypto, you have a wallet. Um, when you open a wallet, they'll give you a seed phrase. Now, the seed phrase is, a, um, uh, is 12 words or 24 words. It depends on the wallet. And uh, then you have to store that seed phrase somewhere. So it can't be under your pillow. Uh, you have two products. Hard no, it way. can't
1: be digital. Don't put it on your computer.
2: Well, you know, not digital. And don't text it to someone. Um, you have to be super careful. Once someone has your seed phrase, they've actually stolen your coins. Uh, Here's an example of um, a hardware wallet that stores um, seed phrases. Uh, if you have little kids in the house, it's uh, just keep it away from them because it's actually fun to play with. And um, if if the letters fall out, you also lose your phrase. <laughs> um, there we go. And this one is a cylinder. It's a, it's a crypto steel uh, wallet. So you can open it, and inside is, is your seed phrase. So here's some examples of how to store a seed phrase in case your house burns Just, are. just
1: explain on that cylinder there, because there, that looks like a uh, cigar case. Uh, yeah. How would you enter the seed phrase on that?
2: So so what happens is you have to open it, and um, there are a number of little um, disks that you put on uh, words, and then you use a pencil to identify what the seed phrase is. So it's it's quite difficult, it's quite tricky but it's kind of fun and it's quite cool. Um, then you have to store these and you have to make backups of these because uh, once you lose this, you lose all your money. Um, and because we're all South Africans, there are other risks associated with this. And um, so you just have to be super safe, super careful. And while you're you showing you this- You mean the you risk this, of
1: somebody pointing a gun at you and saying, what's your seed phrase, to go try and get their hands on the crypto?
2: Exactly. Well, ironically, you are the, the worst person, not you, Kieran. <laughs> But um, the investor is probably the worst risk out there because um, you send it, to, you, you send your coins to the wrong address, you lose one of these things, you forget where you wrote it and you put it, or you, you know, you, you store it somewhere, you give it to someone, or someone steals it from your house. So, so you, uh, the investor are ironically one of the uh, one of the big risks. So th- this is one of the reasons why we started Petrock, you know. Just to um, mitigate all these things, all these devices and all these issues and the pressures and the risks and the counterparty risks that come with exchanges. And uh, we want um, people to actually start considering, including yourself, Brennan, um, crypto as more of a longer term investment. And uh, when you start looking at crypto as an investment, then you have to start worrying about things um, because it's a lot of money and uh, you don't want to lose it.
1: OK, Brandon, let's turn to you for a minute. Uh, OK, in the intro I said that you were formerly with the FSCA, the Financial Sector Conduct Authority. Um, so you're no longer there. Your new venture is CEO of Creston Forensics. Never heard of that before. But your focus is on cryptos and on regulation. Um, I'm a bit surprised because I remember you as a crypto skeptic. So tell me about Creston and what services it provides.
0: Well, Creston is just an accounting firm like Deloitte or PwC, except they're number one and two, and uh, Creston's number 13 in the world. So this is a much smaller player, but it's a niche market, um, which allows me to advise my clients who effectively are in the crypto space, how to um, comply with the coming regulation, how to make their, their businesses a lot safer, et cetera. And I personally believe that self-regulation is a starting point um, in this industry, um, unfortunately, many of the players right now in South Africa want to wait for regulations to come out, and I believe that that's just going to hurt them in the long run, because um, all that's going to happen is that you're going to have regulations that are so strict that you probably have to be a bank to almost uh, play in this market. And somewhere between no regulations and too much regulation, we have to find a balance. So that's one of the jobs of, 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 that I've got at the moment. and. Um, Uh, Also, all the frauds that are taking place very often do involve crypto, and it's a very specialist area that I know nothing about, effectively. (laughs) Uh, I pretend to know a lot, most people do, but it's an area that is so diverse that no person can can really understand, and you have to have a a very wide range of team, uh, people that know cybersecurity, and that understand um, uh, the the crypto world very very well to better unravel a, a, a fraud properly, and that's what we
1: are gonna do at this company. Um, I was contacted just this week by somebody who was saying that the did you know he said that financial advisors can right now give advice to their clients on cryptos and I was a bit surprised by that too is that true well because um, the regulations
0: only kicking next year uh, therefore it's still in no man's land so I can give you advice on crypto anybody can give you advice on crypto but okay. as good advice is another another thing and that's part of the, the process which is coming out with, with the regulations that were published or for discussion, et cetera, is what level of, of experience must an advisor have to be licensed to give you advice? And that's where the inputs of, of the sector need to come, come in. I mean, uh, the, the regulators understand f- traditional financial advice, but what really excites me about the crypto space is not the crypto assets, uh, as we see them primarily now, but what's going to come from this. The decentralised finance, the smart contracts, that's the future, I believe, of, of the financial sector to a very large extent. You know, If you look at the banks and insurance coming today, they will have multiple accounting systems or uh, information systems that were written in different periods of time, sort of talk to each other, et cetera. I believe that in the long run, they will be replaced with, with blockchain type of uh, record keeping, et cetera. Um, so that's why people need to have an input at this early phase into what level of experience is required to give advice um, on, a, on, on some of the really complicated financial instruments which are still going to be developed and which I don't believe people even dreamed about yet.
1: Right. There was a question I wanted to ask you about the regulations. I, I take it this is the start and that there is going to be more comprehensive regulation. I mean, people maybe not understand that in terms of the Reserve Bank Act, uh, that does cover crypto because any, any transfer of an, of an asset outside the country is yes. governed by the act or the regulations that uh, underpin it. So I presume there's going to be more regulations around crypto. There definitely will be. and. In- Um,
0: uh, There's a bill in in Parliament at the moment, I believe it's about to be signed, that's going to make it compulsory for crypto asset service providers to actually comply with anti-money laundering um, requirements with the Financial Intelligence Centre, etc. Many of them are doing it voluntarily at the moment, but it's about to become law. Uh, Definitely a lot more, uh, I believe, a lot more uh, uh, Reserve Bank rules are going to come out uh, or more directly with these crypto asset providers as to how to allow uh, or to facilitate the transfer of, of wealth out of the country. The moment it's, 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 it's covered, but not everybody complying with the law. I don't believe, and we have to do, we have to do that. You know, um, one of the unique things in South Africa is we have uh, control of our, of our foreign reserves as, as such, you know, restrictions, uh, which is unlike other countries. The other area, sorry, also is the payment side. At the moment, people will argue that crypto is a payment mechanism, all right, and some will say it's ineffective and others will say it's just not fast enough and efficient enough. But going forward, you're going to have crypto stable coins that are going to be super fast and super efficient. They will be able to create gateways into um, unbanked markets of the world. And that's also going to
1: hit squarely with uh, the regulatory environment of the PA and the Reserve Bank right okay um i think one of the the stable coins just for people who may not know what that is that is an asset which is backed usually by a fiat currency like the us dollar or the rand but it's um it's a facsimile of the dollar it isn't a real dollar or it isn't a real rand. Uh, but it can be you you can use it for payments it's recognized uh, pretty much all over the world and you can complete that transaction in seconds rather than doing an international transfer through the SWIFT system, um, which could take days. Which is a very interesting use of blockchain technology, is it not?
0: Yeah, but I still prefer Visa and MasterCard personally, but I
1: think as we go forward in time and as the
0: the, the banks, be, and, and I believe banks will become far more involved in, in the uh, crypto space, that you'll be swiping you can pay with a crypto asset or a stable coin or not. It's really going to be about the, 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 the mechanism to deploy and whether the vendor is able to accept it or not. But yes, stable coins are very interesting and I believe the most important part of the future of the crypto world.
1: Okay, Paul, let's turn back to you. Um, one of the trends that we are seeing in the last few weeks, particularly since the collapse of the FTX exchange, is that people are removing their coins from exchanges. Now, they're doing that because they're afraid, because what they discovered uh, to their shock and horror was that FTX was on lending their crypto without their permission to a sister company, and that sister company was taking massive and risky bets with with their coins. Uh, all of this raises the question is where does decentralized finance and decentralized exchanges fit into that? Because the interesting thing, uh, and this maybe needs a little bit of explanation if you can uh, for a minute, what is a decentralized exchange? What is decentralized finance as opposed to a centralized exchange, FTX being a centralized exchange?
2: Yeah, um, that, that, that's a great question because. What we saw over the last couple of months is uh, the failure of centralized exchanges, centralized finance, uh, at least in the crypto sphere. Uh, one, uh, one of the examples was, was FTX. Now, um, decentralized finance is actually um, something that's, that is not centralized uh, through its, its definition. And um, it's actually uh, programmatically um, done on the blockchain. So, for example, um, there are decentralized exchanges, and um, what we do, for example, is um, we can um, put our coins on a decentralized exchange, and you can swap coins. You can um, provide liquidity on the exchanges, and you can actually trade on those exchanges. And there's there's no there's no one there to actually do um, to facilitate. Facilitate any of those trades. It's pure code that's written on the blockchain. So th- that code is written in uh, in smart contracts, and um, the, the underlying um, one of the dominant underlying operating systems of the decentralized exchange is Ethereum, and um, the Ethereum was actually uh, born um, because of the ability to actually programmatically write. Um, Write specific code that's actually you could you could transact with, and there are a whole lot of rules around it. So, decentralized finance they don't use centralized actors, they don't use any centralized companies, and um, it's it's pure code. Now um, that might sound frightening, but if you look over the last twelve months, uh, specifically over the bear market and and the collapse of centralized finances, uh, there was very little to no collapse of the decentralized. finance um, applications running on the blockchain. So,
1: and uh, the reason for that is because nobody has the power to be able to misuse your, your tokens. There's no counterparty risk on a decentralized exchange.
2: Yeah, there still is counterparty risk, but um, there's, n- there's no one in the back, behind the curtain, taking your money and putting it in a pocket and doing something else with it. The code is the code and you can actually see it, so um, you can actually go use go a browser, you can go and inspect the code, so if you are code literate, if you're an engineer, you can actually go look into a decentralized exchange, for example, you can go into a smart contract and you can go and inspect the code. That code is also um, audited by the third party providers, so um, that's audited code, it sits there, it's available to engineers to look at, it's available to people to inspect and um, it operates as expected. So there, there's no one behind the curtain, takes your money, goes off uh, on holiday or um, or to the Bahamas, and um, it's actually pure code. That's why decentralized uh, finance actually works extremely well. However, what you've seen is um, we think that's the combination between the good things in the centralised finance, because we still need KYC, we still need AML that Brendan was talking about, we still need strong regulations. We've seen now the benefits and the necessity of regulations, but if we can marry the benefits of decentralised finance with the benefits of centralised finance, we, we, we've got a good deal. And that's where, where I think the world is shifting towards. So it's not one or the other, it's going to be a combination of both, just using
1: blockchain technologies. Okay, so we've got a question here for Paul. How would investing in Petrock Investments be less risky than FTX and Celsius? In other words, what are your chances of failure?
2: Yeah, a great question. Um, I don't know who it's from. I I, I, I would love... Oh, there. It says Heloise. Heloise. Thanks, Heloise. Um, That's a really good question because if you... If if you think about it, um, there are a number of South Africans that were caught out with FTX. Absolutely. I know one or two of folk who actually had money uh, in FTX and that went into bankruptcy. They they actually uh, lost their money. And uh, same with Celsius. So um, a lot of South Uh, Africans... We're not
1: certain yet that they've lost their money, right, with FTX? No, they've gone into bankruptcy.
2: bankruptcy, So both Celsius and Mm -hmm. FTX uh, have filed for Chapter 11, and they go into bankruptcy, and you're going to get a portion of your, your dollar back. So you're going to get maybe all your money back, or, um, or some of your money back, thanks Brandon. But um, hopefully you get a good portion back now. Um, Celsius and, and FTX are two different business models, so one is a lending business model, which is Celsius. Now Celsius was actually an unsecured loan that you were making, you were giving your coins over to Celsius, it was an unsecured loan that you were giving to Celsius. Celsius were taking your coins and they could do what they liked with it. Um, and uh, actually, if you look at the proceedings in the bankruptcy case, they've actually taken ownership of it and they've told the judge that they actually own the coins. Um, and uh, they are just unsecured loans back to customers. So, so this isn't banking and regulation talk, this is just a pure unsecured loan to a company. Uh, which is uh, fundamentally an issue with with Celsius. If you look at FTX now, uh, there there were a number of bad actors behind the curtain, and uh, because of the lack of regulations, like Brandon was saying, um, FTX got away with a lot of things uh, that we are still uncovering, and there's going to be a ripple effect across the market, but a lack of regulation, bad actors, and the company was using customers' funds, customers' money, to actually go do other things with it. So fundamentally wrong. Um, at Petrock Investments, we, we have actually seen this and we spent um, about a year or so um, looking at what the best way to do it is, and actually what we did is we just copied fund structures, what, what, uh, what customers would expect out of funds. So uh, what we're really sure about is that. If you are a long-term investor, and if you don't want to trade and speculate and worry about coins and wallets and things like that, you, you need to actually place your money in a fund. Now, um, the way we set up funds are just the way um, folk normally are used to funds in South Africa, so funds are totally separate uh, separate legal structures, legal entities, and as a fund manager we, um, we make sure that... Um, the funds themselves come through the bank into into the fund structure, and they are uh, the coins are purchased and kept in safe custody. And uh, if we uh, do mine for yield, uh, all the benefits uh, go back to the fund. So uh, no one touches that fund, and the fund is open and available to customers. And a third uh, party and um, a, a fund administrator every month comes and makes sure that all the coins and uh, the net asset value of the fund is intact, and they report independently back to customers. So you can just see all the checks and balances are there. It's nothing new. Um, so Petrock Investments, we didn't invent this stuff. We just took and borrowed uh, the, all the best practices from, uh, from the great funds that we already have in the country. And uh, we, we, followed, we followed that practice. So You can see that's fundamentally different to uh, an exchange that went bad, which is FTX, the example, and also the lending practices of the other companies that um, take your crypto as unsecured loans. Great yield that you can get with unsecured loans to companies. So if you do see the opportunity in the markets that someone offers you fantastic yield for, uh, for your coins, you must ask twice. You must read the Ts and Cs and, and start worrying. You know, when I give you the coins, is it an actual loan that I'm giving you? What are you doing with uh, with those coins? What are you doing with the money? Are you actually um, doing something behind the scenes with it? Am I going to get my money back? And these are the issues. So if it's too good to be true, it's it's probably to uh, probably stay away from it.
0: Can we just add. You are a registered financial service provider as well, are you not?
2: Yes, thank you. Thank
0: you. So there oh, you I'm go. so sorry. Um,
2: <laughs> that, that was the other very, very big important thing. Um, it took us a while to actually establish ourselves as a regulated service provider, and we take it extremely serious. So we, we have a, a key individual in our, in our team um, who's absolutely, he comes from a bank, he's, um, he's highly regulated after 20 years being in the bank, and he helps us uh, through, through our processes. So, so we have that robustness built into our operating system, if I can say that, and our fund flow. Um, and we, we really care about this independence. So, so that's what's different between maybe a fund and a company that uh, takes crypto loans and an unregulated exchange with some bad actors behind it.
1: I think, I think one of the points that I just want to emphasize that you're making there is that so you've, you've brought in... Okay, proof of reserves is, is part of the baseline reporting which is going to be expected for crypto companies going forward, right? So you're going to have to be able to show, we say that we've got this amount of crypto and the auditor independently verifies that that is what we've got. Uh, What you have done is you've taken something which is commonplace in the traditional financial sector where uh, an independent administrator would go through and he would communicate directly or she would communicate directly with the clients and say, The, the fund has these stocks or bonds on your behalf, and it's not the fund manager saying it, it's the independent administrator doing it. Yes. You're applying that same best practice to the crypto space, correct?
2: Sa- same principle, and the proof of reserves is just the, the beginning of um, starting to count the assets behind the curtain, if I can put it that way again but that doesn't make a, an exchange a bank. I mean, uh, Brandon alluded to it, he, he called an exchange a bank, but then he also said, wait a minute, they don't operate like a bank and they don't have the same regulations as a bank. So just looking at proof of reserves is just a one dimensional factor of uh, looking at the governance that uh, an exchange needs to actually operate like a bank. So even the proof of reserves is just uh, like a single dimension. You know, It's just like counting all the assets but um, it doesn't count the liabilities. So you don't know um, if you borrow it against the assets, you, you, you don't know what's going on in there. And uh, that's where the complication lies.
1: Brandon, we've got a question here. Do you want to say something? I want to clarify something there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. An exchange may not
0: act, look like a bank if it just creates the market, the opportunity for buyers and sellers to come together. But when that exchange starts to hold the, the money, the crypto, and when the exchanges start to on lend it, and FTX is not the only one doing that. There are people in South Africa on lending the money. And when they start to do derivative trading on that, that's when you start to, to, to cross the lines, and that's why the, the need is for regulations to make sure people stay in their lanes and they have the correct um, security, crypto, uh, cyber security is the next fundamental s- step.
1: You know, If you don't have the right um, systems in place, then you're going to have a problem. Okay, a question for you, Brandon from Tapi. What are the main concerns from a South African regulatory perspective around crypto assets? Uh, Firstly,
0: (laughs) we're not even looking. The regulators aren't even looking at regulating crypto assets, because that's a uh, something that may not be able to be regulated. Uh, uh, Then the first problem links to the first one in the fact that there are two main. It's called the two main crypto assets in the world today. Which has very fundamental issues, what's underneath it. So um, that's part of the problem, that you've got a dominance. But the, the, the reality is that crypto assets is far greater than those two predominant assets. Uh, and that's where the future is. And these two predominant assets is taking everybody's attention. But we're not thinking about where, where, where the raising of funds for, us, for your company in the future is going to come in. Um, so there, that would be in South Africa. The CIPC would regulate that in terms of uh, prospectus, which I don't even know whether they're even considering at this point in time. I'm sure there are, but how do you raise funds using a crypto a coin, a token, linked to a profit share in your company? So that leads me to effectively the second problem is that it crosses so many regulatory departments. It affects, for instance... Uh, the, the Department uh, of Trade and in Industry, it affects uh, the the Finance Ministry, uh, and, and, and as you start to get clever with a stable coin that has barrels of oil linked to it. One coin represents a barrel of crude oil, etc. You know, gonna, you, there's so many other uh, complications. It's a derivative well, um, well, no, that would still be a stable coin because linked to the coin would be a fundamental asset, in my, in my opinion. Okay, But when you start to link a coin to a potential barrel of coin, or the price of the barrel of oil, sorry, uh, that's when you start to play the derivative markets. That's my first step knowledge of derivatives. Okay. <laughs> okay, so because it crosses multiple, um, ca- uh, even just in the financial side, you've got the Financial Intelligence Centre, you've got the Reserve Bank, you've got the Presidential Authority, you have SARS, so that has got an interest, and of course you have the FSCA. That would be your predominant players at the moment. Um, so, getting them all to talk together and work together uh, takes time. Um, so, that, that's the issue. Time is your, your business. And I think
1: we've mentioned this point earlier that there are already laws under which cryptos fall. For example, if you're making profits from cryptos in terms of the Income Tax Act, you're going to have to pay. Yeah. Uh, you will share it to the tax man. Uh, if you're transferring money out of the country in terms of the Reserve Bank Act, that's also covered there. But, I mean, that's where you've got a more principled base. But uh, effectively, FTX,
0: for instance, in South Africa, we would have gotten away with it because um, they took deposits from the public. But the def- definition in the bank side of a deposit involves money, so they weren't a bank. So if they were operating in South Africa, we, you know, they wouldn't have been covered. So where you've got a principle regulating something is much easier. But when you've got, uh, you know, fundamental definitions,
1: it's a little bit more, more, more difficult. Paul, can we come back to you? I want to talk about some research that you did, which is very interesting research into financial advisors in South Africa. And they can now include crypto in their portfolio of investment products. So that's quite a breakthrough uh, because regulations are coming. So you you are working with advisors to assist their clients. Tell us about this research. What were the key discoveries? And what's the reaction generally been of financial advisors to cryptos?
2: What we found, Kieran, is that... um First of all, we did the research before the regulations hit. So um, before the 19th of October, we actually conducted our research, I think it was uh, around the month of August. It was around two months. And um, we, um, we asked an independent research body um, in Johannesburg to actually conduct the research for us. They reached out to about 5,000 folk, and uh, we had um, a super response rate. And uh, what surprised us is that um, A huge portion of financial advisors were actually buying crypto. I think it was around 66%, it was in the 60s. Um, And also their clients, they actually said that their clients also buying cryptos, but um, they weren't speaking to each other. So that was the number one thing. It kind of made sense because uh, that makes logical sense. Um, What is really intriguing for us is that the financial advisors also said that Over the next 12 months, 72% of financial advisors said they are planning to allocate crypto into client investment portfolios, uh, which made us super excited because um, if if the uh, advisor and the client actually get together and start looking at cryptos as an allocation into their investment portfolio, then it's a different story. Then it's not just a DIY buying it yourself on an exchange on your phone. It's um, talking about crypto in a sensible way, talking about the risks, talking about uh, the potential upside and downside of cryptos and how it should fit into an investment port- portfolio. because. Um, we and our team we think that it should be a part of investments, but it should be a small allocation into cryptos because of the volatility and the nature of crypto assets. Um, they are volatile. We understand the the nature of the actual the, the category, and um, we recommend a small allocation. But you can only do that when you are actually having this this discussion with financial advisors. So um, that that was. That was a really comforting for us to see that um, there was a, a very positive view on, on crypto um, in terms of financial advisors and their attitudes towards crypto. And, and
1: were they educated in cryptos? Did they know what they were talking about?
2: Um, there, there were diverse views, again. What um, was so interesting was their, their source of education was from YouTube. So, so this, this, is, this is a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, YouTube is phenomenal. Um, but it also comes with uh, some of its entertainment, some of it's not financial advice, other, other is just pure nonsense. So, um, so it's a little bit dangerous. Um, and what we also find through deep discussions with some advisors is they know a lot about crypto. They, they've been in it for a while, they've um, been trading with crypto, they, they fundamentally understand it's in their own personal capacity without their advice. Um, So there are, uh, generally there are different folk um, uh, in the markets and some folk just won't touch it, which is also understandable, totally understandable. So uh, we saw this diverse view coming out of the research.
1: So as low as cryptos have gone this year, the good news is that financial advisors are really about to kick this into a whole higher gear, right?
2: Yeah, we hope so. the thing about so what we saw a year ago is is a lot of people actually speculated and and super simple to buy crypto. Um, you just need a phone and, and uh, some um, some cash and off you go you, you can you can start buying crypto but now um, what what we are uh, going for an investment thesis is that um, if you'd like to invest in blockchain technologies, if you'd like to invest in cryptocurrencies, then take a longer-term view. Have a discussion with your financial advisor, and um, and and do something that actually makes sense. So it doesn't break the bank, and and do something that makes sense for your overall portfolio, and what it can do for that. So that is a long-term view into investments in blockchain technologies. Now. Um, also, our view on blockchain technologies is is super interesting because it means a, a lot to a lot of people. Um, so we, we've taken three different um, sort of themes
1: to blockchain technology. And, and just be, before you go there, just explain, break it down. Why is blockchain such a, a breakthrough?
2: I was going to break it up into into areas because there, there's so many things to talk about. It's it's not again, it's not one dimensional. Um, and it's phenomenal for us um, and it seems so simple because it's just a decentralized database. right? But actually when you start unpacking that and seeing uh, the benefits thereof, it's actually phenomenal. So l- let me just go through some, uh, three examples and uh, they actually relate to our funds in a way. Uh, the first one is the future of money, which is actually to, a lot to do with Bitcoin. So, Bitcoin was the original cryptocurrency, and it's quite unique, and it's dominant in the market. I think Brandon was alluding to that now. So, um, it takes up 40% of the total market value. It's just one cryptocurrency. Now, there are over 20,000 cryptocurrencies, as Brandon was uh, starting to talk about. And um, so, Bitcoin as a whole is, is quite phenomenal. It's the original uh, way to transfer money, and it's the original methodology of Digital payments. So, Bitcoin is going to be the front runner for digital money. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. So, um, hence our Bitcoin Fund. Um, so, that's the future of money. Then there's the future of finance. I think you're starting to talk about that with DeFi and decentralized finance. Um, that's what we are super excited about because um, all the aspects of blockchain technology make the entire financial services market rethink all their processes. Um, because uh, uh, the things that come with blockchain technologies is actually quite revolutionary. For example, decentralized finance uh, and the ability to actually do a lot of the financial transactions with with our central players. um, And the line um, to that is Ethereum, which is uh, the actual operating system that allows people to program on it. right applications on top of, on top of the blockchain, uh, smart contracts, which actually have all the rules in place for the future of finance. So um, there's a huge part for uh, Ethereum to actually play and um, uh, to, to revolutionize the world of financing and uh, blockchain will actually disband right across a whole lot of industries. Um, so the, the future is, is uh, phenomenal. Um, the, a simple example is provenance, which um, because every transaction is recorded on the blockchain, you can actually follow a transaction right to its beginning. So can you imagine just picking out something in, in a grocery store, you, you, know, you can follow that. If that was recorded on the blockchain and where it came from, you could follow it right back to the farm. So uh, the blockchain can work in financial services, but in a whole lot of different other areas. And the third, the third part that really excites us is the future of the internet and the web that we know it. So that might sound um, a bit theoretical, and it's still early days. But um, if you look at the at the web now, what's scary is that one person in Silicon Valley can actually turn off Google for you. So um, can you imagine a day without Google? You know, no searches, probably no, no email from from you, Kieran. and. Um, but if you had an Android phone like you, you do, your phone would be a brick. So there are centralized um, companies right now um, that control a huge portion of the internet. So um, uh, it, it's the same with social, you know. Um, one person... Well,
1: just an example of that pre-search, for example, is a blockchain-based search engine oh, where, you, where you, you, cannot, uh, you cannot fiddle with the results, and it's very good. So we've just been talking about you know, the problem that you have with centralized exchanges and centralized control of anything, uh, including your search engine like Google does, and you have now and, and uh, possibly the future of search engines. It's going to be fantastic what's coming.
2: Yeah, it's, it's crazy because, um, as Brandon said, we don't know what's going to happen next. But from an investment thesis, we have a long-term thesis on the future of blockchain technology, and we believe in that and hence our funds and hence our long-term view. So it's not speculation anymore. We, we think the future is bright. We don't know what it's gonna look like, but, um, but it is phenomenal.
1: Brandon, I wanna to turn to you. Uh, do you see a serious role for, for cryptos in the financial sector, or is it gonna remain peripheral for those who are looking for a bit of an adrenaline jump, a dump?
0: The accountants, the economists, the, 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 the businessmen, um, hate to come to this um, conclusion but effectively the, the crypto technology is yet to stay. I'm not certain about some of the crypto assets. Uh, some of them may not be around but the technology behind them is definitely going to be yeah, in the future and the decentralized finance the, um, uh, the smart contracts and what you do with it in the future is going to play a major role. Um, in the financial sector as a whole. And then also is going to make um, access to the market um, once we find the rules. If I said earlier that it's very difficult to regulate the crypto itself. But for instance, certain stable coins will be easily uh, regulatable in the long run. These centralised exchanges and things like that may not be easy to regulate because who are you going to regulate? So you'll end up with regulations that will apply more to the centralised people and then decentralised will probably be outside there. Um, but they'll have a role to play and maybe a very important role to play out. But yes, the answer to your question is I think it's it's yet to stay. Uh, the fact that some of the biggest funds in the world are invested in it um, either because it's, uh, we don't want to be left out and the fear of losing out and And until this year, nobody was ever wrong for investing in in the major crypto assets. But now people are starting to reconsider and hopefully a more conservative approach and a rational approach will will take place in the
1: investment world in the future. Well, I think more than 50% of Bitcoin holders are now underwater. (laughs) Uh, So you were right. Up until a few months ago, uh, it it, it was the case that it doesn't matter where you bought, you were pretty much guaranteed to be in profits. Uh, Okay, Paul, uh, we are getting a little bit short of time here, so uh, I've got a few questions to rattle through. Why would one invest in your Bitcoin fund or your Ethereum fund? I mean, can I not go to Luna or Altcoin Trader or Valor and buy Bitcoin myself and self-custody? Well, what's the value that you're adding in your Bitcoin fund and your Ethereum fund?
2: Yeah, absolutely Kieran, I mean someone can go and um, they can definitely go onto an exchange and they can purchase crypto themselves, as I said they just need a phone and some money and off they go. But um, if someone wants to invest in blockchain technologies, they want to take a long-term view and it's actually quite a significant investment on their side, so it's it's, it's something that they can afford to lose. and. Um, and what our clients uh, come to us, they don't want to worry about wallets, they don't want to worry about the counterparty risks and all the other things that come with a story and seed phrases and things like that. They want they want an investment that's very similar to uh, what they already have in terms of their investment portfolio. And uh, they're looking to invest in, in crypto um, just like their other investments. So they come to us for that and uh, that's what we offer. That we also, um, our funds are, as I said before, they are set up in terms of a, a traditional fund structure. So um, we have a fund administrator that reports back to clients to, to let them know uh, where their assets are and uh, what their yield is that they're making on the assets and, um, and what their balances are. So uh, it runs like a fund. Um, it's for long-term investors who are interested in blockchain technology investments and see a long-term view for it and uh, see a, a major upside. So, um, so that that's what's that's what our funds are set up for. We've um, actually lately we've been really helping uh, customers um, actually get off exchanges and move their cryptos into our funds. So that's that's been a, a very recent thing for us to actually just comprehend, just to help uh, existing crypto exchange um, customers just to move their um, move their cryptos out of exchanges and into funds. So that's, that's quite a new thing for us. Um, but you can see that uh, fundamentally there are two different things here. The one is uh, long term investment opportunity, which is in blockchain technologies. And the other one is definitely has its place as well.
0: Okay. okay. Can I come in there, sorry. Yes. Do you own shares directly in the stock exchange yourself, Kerry? No. Do you own shares directly in the stock exchange yourself? No. Do you have CIS, Collective Investment Scheme? Yes. Do you? Mm. All right. That's a fundamental principle. You don't invest in something you don't understand. Because what people don't understand is that there's not one Bitcoin market in the world. There's not one exchange. There's not one price. There's prices all over the world. They, They don't understand what the miners are doing in that country or that country. They don't understand the sentiment around various things. So you'd be a fool. You can play around a little bit for the fun of it, a little bit of money, to put your money directly in the stock exchange. You go through fund managers that understand the industry, that understand the sector. Same with any form of investment, this is why it's got to be, be regulated, is that if you want to be a longer term player, not a gambler, not a speculator, then you should allow people that sort of understand the whole industry. They'll get it wrong from time to time, probably more often than not, but they can get it right more often than you as a man in the street that doesn't know anything really. You think you know about Bitcoin. And all the youngsters that come to me and tell me they're Forex traders or they're crypto traders, etc. They know more than gamblers because they really don't understand the market and you don't understand the market no matter how clever you think you are when it comes to Bitcoin. There's probably very few people that know it. And even then you need a team of people with different knowledges of any market be it crypto, be it commodities, be it shares, whatever form of asset class. And this is just one asset class.
1: A highly speculative, speculative, risky asset class, but it's still an asset well, class. What about stable coins? Okay, talk about that, because that, that has been the big surprise and the big growth market within crypto, where you've got Tether, you've got USDC, you've got, uh, a, not Binance coin, a Binance USD. These are stable coins backed by the US dollars. And I think of the... Uh, you've got three US dollar-backed stable coins in the top ten in terms of market cap. Do these have a future? Um, for
0: certain, provided they have the actual dollar behind them. Okay, that's where it comes to proof of reserves. They must be audited. There should be an audit certificate published monthly by the audit firms. There should be proper rules in place that the regulators put into place that say this is what we expect from the from the fund to publish, etc. So... That is, uh, the thing about uh, crypto is it makes it easy to get into the market, effectively. It's much easier to go and buy a crypto which has a backing of Standard Bank shares, for instance. All right, my best bad is on it's easy to buy shares in South Africa. But let's say a barrel of oil. I don't know when last you bought a barrel of oil, but it's not easy to buy a barrel of oil. Um, or something else uh, effectively. And that's where the stable coin. And, and also, linked to stable coins in the future is going to be things like uh, what's well, already happening a timeshare. You, you buy a, a right to use an asset or part of an asset. Um, and we're not even in the non fungible token se- section yet. So, yes, stable coins in my mind is the, what gives crypto credibility. What gives it a lack of credibility are those other coins that we're not going to mention now.
1: <laughs> okay, so we've just got a couple of minutes left, and we haven't even touched on non-fungible tokens, which is really a way to uh, make digital assets scarce and to make them tradable. Uh, we'll leave that for another day. I want to I want to get to a final uh, question for you, Paul. Somebody who's just getting into crypto for the first time, what should they do? Should they go to Petrock Investments, or should they go somewhere and just buy some, some Bitcoin, or should they avoid it altogether? Wow, Kieran... I think it depends. Um, we actually encourage people to to go
2: and and purchase some um, some crypto on an exchange, on a local exchange, using their phone, and see how easy it is. Because uh, then they actually feel that they 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 get a feeling for um, for the actual coins that they're purchasing. If someone wants to take a long term investment, then it's a different story. Th- then it's a lot of money, and you have to be very careful. And uh, that's when. Um, we encourage people out there to actually speak to the financial advisors first, firstly, absolutely. Because then uh, you'll, you'll get a, probably a uh, good, insightful, independent view. And then at least um, you don't have to always listen to your financial advisor, but at least they make sense. You know, they're going to cover the risks and they're going to speak about your investment portfolio and how much to spend and uh, how, to, how to actually um, make, make sure that you don't actually. Um, take too many risks in terms of your, your overall portfolio and your savings, which are super important. Um, well, what,
1: what if your financial advisor knows nothing about crypto? You wouldn't go to him for advice.
2: Um, well, you sh- um, well, first of all, your financial advisor should know something about money. Okay. and should, uh, should um, know something about speculation and uh, the risks associated with that. They may not know everything about crypto. We, we actually encourage both financial advisors and, um, and clients out there. Uh, we have a website petrockinvest.com and people are welcome to actually come online, subscribe. We have a cool monthly newsletter we launch in next month and um, and we have a lot of information there uh, for uh, financial advisors specifically, uh, legal structures, tax advice, and things like that. Just some guidance and uh, a lot of info on, on our website. Um, but it is a difficult and complex discussion. Um, I think that's what you're alluding to. You know, yep. it's not a simple
1: thing. And okay. uh, people must just be worried. All right. We are going to leave it there. Thank you very much, Paul Kassler. Brandon Topham, great discussion on cryptos.
2: Thanks, you.
0: Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.